Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Complete Sinner's Guide. I am your host, Tyler Fowler, and with me, as always, Mr. Noah Chalaya. Buddy, how is it going tonight? It has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, the last few weeks have, have really been a growing experience for me, and God continues to do great things every day. Amen. A- amen. And he does, dude. And, and we miss you last week. Noah, Noah had to take off early for the debate. But as you guys heard last week, we had an amazing debate. And if you haven't if you haven't heard that yet, go to CompleteCenters.com. Uh, check that out. But not only do we debate and we talk theology here at CSG, but we also try to evangelize, telling people not only about Jesus Christ and his teachings, but also about his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We persuade people not to just accept the fact that God exists, but to trust him as a real living person. In fact, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. However, in today's postmodernistic disaster that we find ourselves in, how can we best communicate our faith to others? For this discussion, I've invited David Russell from Pora, or proselytize, or apostatize, for those who don't know, to talk about apologetics and apod- apologetic methodology. David, how are we doing tonight? I'm good, buddy, man. It's good to be here. I'm honored that you guys uh, asked me to come on, man. This is awesome. Um, I, I, you know, I listened to you guys last week. That was a pretty good, pretty feisty, too, debate there. That was an interesting debate. I, I always love cross-examination portions of the debate. And so with I, I hope really we get to kind of go a little bit later on and maybe kind of go back and review the debate and discuss some things about it. Um, but I'm hoping to get, you know, kind of do that in the future. But but tonight, brother, we got apologetics. So let me ask you this just real quick to kick this all off, David. What is proselytize or apostatize? And how did you get into, you know, doing apologetics? And when did you start? So so here's this is this is kind of funny because I heard you say PRA at first or Pora. Uh-huh. And that, that that just kind of like reminded me of uh, when my friend asked me to help him with this podcast. And he went to ask a question from Justin Brierley, uh, who started Ask N.T. Wright anything, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And N.T. Wright said that the, our, our, the name for our show was a mouthful. So there may be a name change in the near future. But, yeah, <laughs> right. we started Yeah, we started the podcast because my, my first co-host, he was like, I'm in trouble. I, I've invited some people on that are just grilling me, and I don't know how to answer them. Uh-oh. So he, he invited me. I've been doing apologetics probably since oh, a little before 07, so probably probably the fall of 06 I started okay. doing it because I, I remember it was right when my dad passed that really launched me into it. So the story sure. behind that – story time, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh he passed away, and you know, as all good Irish people do, they have uh, a funeral and you know a celebration of life at an Irish pub. So we were sitting there hanging out. My cousin, who's a staunch atheist, man. I mean, he was he's real staunch. I mean, you know, why should I have faith? That was the question he hit me with. And I was part of this real word of faith charismatic movement uh, that I was starting to question these these ideas. At the time, and when he asked me that, we launched into this huge discussion over faith and God and stuff. And by the end of it, I was sitting there like, why do I believe this? 
I had no good answers. I had nothing. I, I, I went back and, and I, I can only say, and you guys probably can relate to this, that it was a, a growing experience because it launched me into finding out why I believed what I believed. Right. I was like, Amen. I dedicated, I dedicated seven years previously of my life to this. And I don't even know why I believe it. That's what that debate really put in my face. So from there, I can tell you that the Holy Spirit launched me into it. I mean, it was guided. And when you, you know, you don't really notice these things until you step back and you look into it, uh, you know, from a, from a, you know, bird's eye view. And then you can see the spirit working and, and what he did in my life. I mean, the first thing that was open to me, I had this little book uh, that was, uh, you know, 101 things you probably didn't know that are in the Bible, you know, and I, I started learning about Jerome and the, and the translation of the Bible. And I was like, well, this is the first step. I need to know how the Bible came uh, to be, uh, the history behind it and so forth. So that that's kind of where I started, although before then. A friend of mine, before, right before my dad died, got me into C.S. Lewis, who said that uh, – or, or she, she gave me a book called uh, The Problem of Pain, mm. and I was reading it, and you know, I wasn't philosophically trained. So I mean I'm like having to look up words, <laughs> and like my <laughs> right. mind is blown, right? So you know, I put that down for a little bit, and you know, fast forward back to where I was. I, I picked that book up again too. And started reading that and reading how the Bible came to be. And that, that really – it went from there, man. It just cascaded, should I say, from there. For those who don't know, C.S. Lewis' Problem of Pain, that is an amazing book. I recommend it to anybody. I haven't made it all the way through it yet, but uh, Joshua Davidson, or Jimmy Davidson, as a lot of people know him by, he actually uh, recommended to me uh, C.S. Lewis. And this is crazy because here's the thing, man. I had no idea C.S. Lewis wrote Chronicles of Narnia, right? And I read Chronicles of Narnia in school. I had no idea who C.S. Lewis was. And sure enough, he's he is one, probably one of the leading apologists you know, of his time. And so, but, but David really just got into it, right? So apologetics, for those who don't know what apologetics is, no, it's not you're saying you're sorry for something that you've done. Apologetics is concerned with the defense of the Christian faith against charges of falsehood, inconsistency, or credulity. Indeed, the very word apologetics is actually derived from the Greek word apologia, which means defense. It was a term used in the courts of law in the ancient world. Actually, Socrates, for example, gave his famous apology or defense before the court of Athens, and the apostle Paul defended himself apologiomai before the Roman officials, Acts 24, 10, 25, 8. As it concerns the Christian faith, then, apologetics has to do with defending or making a case for the truth of the Christian faith. And I got that quote from a book called Five Views of Apologetics. We'll probably be referencing a little bit uh, tonight. But, but David, let me just jump into it like this, man. Why, I mean, and, and I think you really hit it, you know, before, because you said that involving yourself with apologetics really bolstered your faith, right? It really gave you confidence oh, yeah. in what oh, you yeah. believe. And that is a big problem, like, I, I just see out in the world. People are told what to believe, 
and they don't know why they believe what they believe, right? Like, don't get me wrong. God is a very broad subject. Yes. But whenever we find, whenever we start doing these apologetics, we do start getting confidence in our faith because there are answers. They're really good answers to some of these even straw men or, or misrepresentation of what we believe. But but let's just get right into it, David. Why why do you think, other than bolstering the Christian faith for believers, why else do we need apologetics? Well, let me ask you this: and mm-hmm. does God really need somebody to defend Him? Right, right, right. You know, Fair I mean, enough. What that, what, what's what's the phrase they said? You know, it's kind of like letting a lion out of a cage. You know, does it really need a defense? Right, right. And here's and here's the thing: is that if, if your goal for apologetics is to defend the faith and be argumentative and so forth, you've missed the mark. Yep. Apologetics is a uh, a adventure. It's it's a a illumination to the truth. It is you know, a, a process of knowing the truth and it should be a hunger within you. As the scripture says, you know, those that thirst for righteousness and, and hunger for it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like that, you know, the, your belt of truth is what holds all the armor in place. You should be concerned with seeking the truth and knowing the truth. And that was what my intent was. I wanted the truth. So that's one of the things, uh, the confidence, the boosting, all that came second. Um, so R.C. Sproul, who's one of, who was, you, you know, I love R.C. Sproul. Um, he was in a debate with Greg Bonson and it said that I'm concerned about the loss of the intellectual credibility of Christianity. We are living in the most anti-intellectual age in history, in the history of Western civilization. And he hit the mark, bro. I mean, we, we live in a, in an era where scientists bow to a specific discipline, of science without understanding the methodology that uh, that gave it the specificity, right? Sure. We we have we have judges that that make laws or not make laws but rule on laws, but they don't even understand the ontology of the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a crazy era we live in. So, I mean, the church. Why we do we need apologetics? Because not only do we all need to uh, uh, learn our faith. And I know that, like, when we get into methodology, that we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, the the ideas that that Feinberg put put forth. But sure. just to just to give you a little a little snippet is that we need to love the truth, we need to learn the truth, and we need to live the truth. And those Amen. are kind of the ways I simplify it, you know, even from Feinberg's uh, uh, in depth part of it, but. Uh, yeah, man. So the church does need it. And one of the biggest reasons that the church needs it, and I, I even pulled up some statistics, is I'll give you one right off the mm-hmm. top of, of, the, of my head here. Sure. Uh, it's from Tom Bissett. Uh, it's called the, it, from Discovery House Publishers. This was in 1997, right? Mm-hmm. So the book's findings were that people were leaving the faith. That one of the, the number one reason that they left the faith was they left because they had troubling unanswered questions about the faith. They, uh, one of the biggest things that I hear most often is that, you know, they don't have answers. Just they've asked the pastor a question and he has said, just have faith. What does that even mean? Right. Just have faith. I mean, what is the biblical notion of faith? I mean, it comes from the Greek word pistos, right? What does that mean? It's trust. What are we trusting in, in at this point? Because what I can see is that Jesus was doing miracles, 
and that's evidence. Uh, Thomas he even told Thomas, who was doubting at the time, to touch him. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I, that's evidence. He was there in a physical, real way. You know, so does the church need apologetics? Absolutely. I, I've I, and you know I've encountered so so many churches that are against it, which right. just boggles my mind. So that's in a nutshell, man. Absolutely. No, and I think you just answered the next question. Are apologetics apologetics necessary in evangelism? And and, and the answer is yes. You brought up truth just a minute ago, David, and I wanted to – I want to read John 17. Uh, John 17. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So in a nutshell, Jesus is a presuppositionalist. But besides no, that. No, no, not even close, bro. Come on now. Jesus was no. an evidentialist. <laughs> I, had, I had to go there. I had to go there. But but we will get into a methodology here in just a second. I know people are jumping at the bit to uh, hear that. But but it, but it, this is true. So in a world, in today's world, where there is no objective truth, supposedly, Jesus completely dismantles that argument with this. Your word is truth, and it is absolute truth. That means that it is true for me, it's true for David, it's true for every single person on earth, and it will always be true. These are philosophical concepts, yes, but the fact of the matter is that there is objective truth, and the Son of God says it's God's word. I mean, this is scripture. This is why we we defend the faith with scripture. You know, I mean, it's just there. We could go so many different ways with this, um, but but I do kind of want to stay on track. But but let me ask you this: We did talk about um, me, like a little bit of different methodological approaches. So let me ask you this, David: What are yeah. the different methods of approach used in apologetics? Well, well, let's just back up because I, I do want to go over a couple things here, but it's your yeah. mic, so you can just tell me no. No, <laughs> right? no, please, brother, please. <laughs> so, you, you know, you asked me about evangelism. You know, my prof- a couple of my professors uh, have said that apologetics is evangelism. Evangelism mm-hmm. is apologetics, right? Mm-hmm. But the reasons that we need to do it in evangelism is, A, because people aren't getting answers. That's one I just read. Uh, the, people are leaving the church in a rapid pace. This is only – since 1997, the news hasn't been good since. Mm-hmm. You know, We're just you – know, I have stats. I have lists of what's going on with people leaving the church, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the, another thing is that people aren't listening or being taught correctly. You know, Either apathy is, is just taking them by storm, and they don't want to learn. And they don't care about the big questions anymore because of entertainment. You know, enter- we live in a world that is, or in a country that is purely, purely focused on entertainment. They'd rather be entertained than explore the big questions of life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another big thing is being taught correctly. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have a PhD to be a pastor or that some of these back, you know, the backyard pastors are wrong, you know. We call them backyard pastors here in Virginia, but uh, but if you're not willing to sit down and learn the doctrines, some of those essential doctrines, yeah, how are you going to teach essential doctrines? How are you going to te- teach orthodoxy? How are you going to teach the truth? If even you don't if, know even the if truth? you're not looking to teach, aren't we like what is is it First Peter three fifteen? 
Um, yeah. Let me see if I can get that up real quick. <clears throat> so, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone yes. who asks about the hope that you possess. Yet Absolutely. do it with courtesy, respect, and keeping a good conscience so that those who slander your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. For it is better to suffer for doing good if God wills it than for doing evil. So the idea is even if you weren't interested in teaching – you ha- you have to be prepared when people look at you and say, "Why are you always so so happy?" I mean, it's great to say, "Well, because the Spirit of Jesus Christ fills me." Okay, but what does that mean exactly? Right. How do you get yeah. there, and why do you believe it? You know, you have to have an answer for that. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I ask my students because I, I teach youth. Uh, I, I you know I'm not a youth pastor, but I teach the small group for the high school guys, and you know I, I do this thing where I play an atheist. Right, I'll be an atheist. Mm-hmm. Right. But the first thing, you know, and, and, you know, I teach them apologetics that way. But the first thing I told them when I first started, uh, because, you know, I, I start with uh, 11th and 12th graders. So they've been with me for like two years now. Right. So mm-hmm. when I first got a hold of them, I said, guys, and, and I do this in the beginning of every year. But I said, I want you to tell me why you're a Christian without giving me a personal testimony. And I learned this from my friend Rob Lumberg, who mm-hmm. you know, who kinda who kinda like, you know, took me in when I came to Spotsylvania. You know, I moved from northern Virginia to about middle Virginia. So uh he took me under and, and helped me find a church and, you know, helped me out a bit. So he said he said that's what he does because he was teaching at Germana at the time uh, with Ratio Christie. And he was like I want, you know, he told me that, and I was like, you know, I'm going to use that with my high school students because I want them to be able to explain to me why they believe what they believe without giving a subjective response because that's what Mormons do, and they rely on that, you know. And, you know, at that point, I have to consider, you know, the Muslims' claim, the the Mormons' claims, Jehovah's Witness' claim. Personal experiences are not enough, you know. I, I would challenge, I would challenge that I would challenge that a little bit to say that personal experiences yeah. in and of themselves may not be enough but when you start to get a number of individual experiences that all point to the same direction and happen to be congruent with what our understanding and documentation of God is prior to that then I start to think that there is some value um in 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 those experiences Yeah no no there's value personally for you but if you're going to try to convince me and the entirety of the Mormon church is going to tell me their personal subjective experience, and it goes against the truth of what mm. is out there, I, I'm going to have to deny their personal experience. I'm sorry. Now, there's value in it for them. But uh, the miracle you know, is only good for yeah. the first person. It doesn't work secondhand. I can't right. tell you about a miracle in my life and have it real, have any real value to you. Exactly, and that's where I was going. You know, There, there is that essence to it you know what i mean so i I try to get the students to not only because i believe that my students have powerful testimonies but Mm. just just to give you a quick example i i had i went about 80 20 i usually go about you know 35 and they stumped me before they they, they've beat my moral moral uh argument when i was the atheist and stuff like that so i was very proud of very proud of them and even (laughs) the the mothers came up and like man you're getting them to think that's so awesome and i'm like I'm like, you know, that, that makes my day, right? You know, so, but uh, um, I don't, I don't, can't remember where I was going with this. But the point was is that, you know, I started challenging them, and I went 80% on them. And they were telling me their personal experiences. One of the kids said, you know, well, my parents couldn't have kids, 
and then I came along. So that's a miracle. That's why I'm here. That's how I can testify that. And I said, well, you know, you, you know, cancer goes into remission all the time uh, naturally. So how do you know that that something uh, naturally didn't happen to your mom that that gave you know that that one you know thing hit the egg and, and next thing you know here you are. How do you know that's not the case? How do you know what didn't come by natural? And it just you know I could see the look on all their faces were like because each of them had a, a little miracle claim, you know. And when I really confronted them with you know the naturalistic response that they're going to get hit with in college, and this is my third point. This is my what I was going to say. The secular schools of higher education very well may be sabotaging students' faith, you know. I uh, and I dealt with this, and I'll give you another example. But first, uh, yeah. I could see the look on their faces, and they're like, "Yeah, I really have no explanation after that." You know, I'm really struggling with how I can come up with a defense now. You know what I mean? So it, with that and, and the, the experience I had with my friend, uh, a friend of mine, she was in college. She was in, in the local uh, community college here in, in northern Virginia, and her professor just started going off. He's a, he's a literature professor, and he's going to tell her why Christianity's false, right? So I'm like, why is he, why is he going out of his tenure to preach on something he's not – expert in right we have this problem in, in the colleges that that these guys are not sticking to what they're you know um they're tenured in and, and so worse. i confronted yeah and i confronted this guy i confronted this guy and mm. i and and you know we we had this long conversation you know and the the point is my friend's still christian so thank god Amen. you know so um yeah so so you know you just get those things and and you know that's that's a secular teacher preying on 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 students vulnerabilities there and it, right. if we're not being taught correctly and we're not being taught the truth of christianity then where does that leave us and whose fault is it and we only have to look in the mirror we yeah, you're exactly right you said something a minute ago david that i want to kind of press on a little bit you said and, and, and thank god for it that i'm getting ready to start an evangelism class at my church and and I Amen. want to, I want to be able you know to have people come up to me to say I'm so thankful that you're getting my children or even me you know to think right. My question is though, David, how do we get people to think like like just take your just you know normal just Generation Z person right? How do we get this person to think whenever they are? In their mind, they've attended these colleges. They've heard the arguments. They're dead set, you know, against Christianity, and they're you know living up to the hype of postmodernism, where truth is subjective. How do we start getting people to actually think about the things that we have to say if it is not "quote unquote" true for them? Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting, um, and I'll and I'll tell you, uh, and we'll talk about this in two ways. But I'm not the one sure. skipping methodology right now. You are it, right. <laughs> I am. I am. But I'm circling it back but, around. Yeah, so that's fine. That's fine. I'm just playing with you. But yeah. uh, um, like I said, we can nerd out here. This is this is this is my wheelhouse. So I love I love doing this. Um, this is why I had you on, brother. So, <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I would say, and I had this. It's kind of funny. I was. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a federal uh, security officer, so, you know, I work for the federal government. I contracted them. I'm a contractor, not, you know, directly fed, but sure. um, I, uh, I work for them, and I have to do a lot of training, right? You know, I have to qualify with a firearm. I have to do all sorts of stuff, right? So one of my qualification courses was a, a requalification on, you know, certain fundamental truths, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I use the, the famous roadrunner tactic here that, uh, uh, Frank Turek and Greg Koch will always like to use, right? So, uh, these are two apologists that are, that are well known throughout the, the, you know, the, the genre of apologists, you know, that are out there. Uh, but the roadrunner tactic basically goes like this. Someone says, that's true for me. So the, this, this instructor was saying, well, how do you justify this certain use of force when this guy has his truth? This guy has his truth. Everybody has their own truth. And I, I just raised my hand, and he pointed at me, and I said, is it true, absolutely true, that everybody has their own truth? Mm. Right? So Self-refuting arguments. Answer, right, right. So we got into this long, drawn-out talk on, on it, and basically he had to cut it off because you know he's the instructor. He has the, the mic, right, just like I told right. you earlier. So uh, you know I respect that, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, but I want you to come up and talk to me afterwards. So I said, okay. And I went up there, and I said, well, sir, if you're going to deny absolute truth, because he was like, you know, you're like my son, you know, you, you, you know, he does this stuff too. And I was laughing. I was like, well, maybe your son's a philosophy major like me. You know? <laughs> there you go. So I went over there, and, and I, I, and he was like, so I know what you're saying, but you know, you know, truth can't be truth; it has to be relative. And I was like, no, no, that's not true. I said, so what? Just think about what you just said. And I said, truth is not like ice cream. You know, you can't pick and choose your flavors. I said, if me and everybody else in this in this classroom stood on the roof of this building and we all decided to jump, but three out of three out of the eight people in this class thought they could fly, would they? And he's like, No, you can't escape gravity. I said, There you go. And he's like, Ah, I see. You know, mm -hmm. he was like, That's very good, man. That's very good. And he, he like applauded us for going through it. And he was like, you know, he was happy about it. But my answer to your question, to, to the main part of your question, how do you get people to listen? Ask questions. Jesus was notorious for it. Jesus yep. would answer questions with questions. Right. Ask questions because I tell you what, there's nothing more exciting to see somebody's light bulb go off on the top of their head. Yep. And yep. that's when they really get it. They have the saying, right? You teach a man or you give a man a fish. He eats for a day, but if you teach a man how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime, mm -hmm. and that is what is powerful. That is what you want to see. Amen, and there is no – I think there is no better – even if you want to call it a prize, there's no better prize in evangelism than seeing what David is describing, what I call the click, right? Whenever yeah. it clicks with them, and they finally – even if you're – especially when you're telling them about the gospel, and, and, and they, they're just taking in everything that you're saying. But David is absolutely right. If you want to get people to listen to you, listen to them ask questions. This is about respect. And, and David, you mentioned it a while ago, but you're absolutely right. Whenever we start actually loving others, loving our neighbor as ourselves, this is what that entails. It entails truth, and it also entails respect. Whenever we listen, whenever we are actually there listening, not just hearing someone, because let me tell you something, there is a big difference between hearing and listening, right? And once you actually show someone, because this is personal, in a world where feelings are number one, whenever you appeal to someone's emotions by showing them that you respect them, because respect's not a material thing, right? Respect is something that is spiritual or, or, or non-physical. And so whenever you show them that, 
it there there's it, it just it it gives you common ground right like i think this is so important in apologetic method yeah. methodology and you Absolutely. you really taught me about the communal the yeah cumulative case sorry <laughs> the cumulative uh, case yeah the cu- the cumulative case yes and, and yeah. but you said it a while ago um while we were off the air david but you said that we have to meet people where they are there yeah. is no i think you know there is no this is where you start with every person because not every not everybody is in the same starting point right we everybody yeah. the people let me just say something people are not images on facebook right they're not little one no. by one squares these are living breathing image bearers of god and so right. whenever we act like that and whenever we actually show love and, and concern and respect, like I said earlier, we I think we win. And it just yeah, in that sense yeah. by getting them to listen. Uh, but David, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So so like you were saying, you, you know, this is an old moniker that has has pervaded the centuries, right? Uh, Teddy Roosevelt even talked about it, and I'm not even a fan of his presence, right? I think he was too progressive. But you know, there <laughs> there's uh John Wesley also said it, and there's others that obviously said this, but people want to know how much you care before they care how much you know, mm. right? So that's, that's, that's a very powerful driving point. And if you continue – and now here's another little analogy here. If you continue to look at people like telescopes, when you look at them and you see the contraction, the contraption itself, it's, it's a metal. I'm looking at mine right now. i got a huge power seeker. Uh, 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 you, you know, a telescope here. It's a, a refractor, uh, a reflector, and uh, you, you know, you see this contraption with all these little eyepieces and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, if you look, and this is this relates to your image on Facebook, you see the image. You're looking at the telescope, right? But if you look through that telescope, you'll see the heavens. We have to look through to the person. We have to meet them where they are. And that is why the cumulative case is so powerful because it's like a puzzle. It's like a huge puzzle, bro. And that puzzle, you can start with any piece and still get to the main thing. Yeah, I was listening to your – it was like a roundtable discussion on different methodologies. And that's what he said is like a puzzle having a thousand pieces. So what – can can you give us a definition, like a working definition for the cumulative case, uh, David? I just did. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so, so expand. I, yeah. I know Feinberg. Yeah. So he starts out with the ontological and cosmological arguments, right? There is a starting oh, wow. point. Ontological. So you want to you want to go into the arguments, or do you let, just want to go to the case? So let's right? let's jump into the ontological and cosmological argument real quick, and then we'll jump okay. into the case. If that's cool with you. Okay. 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 So. Okay, so people start with different arguments. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a pro at the cosmological argument or, or okay. the ontological ontological argument. I'm. I'm. My interest, and it's always been my interest, okay. was the uh, cosmological argument. Right. Right on. So, so when you when you see, so so the cumulative case doesn't have priority. Right. That's the big right. thing with the cumulative case. Like I said, it's like a puzzle. You can start with anything. However, what you're looking for in in any apologetic is the uh, especially in, in the cumulative case is the common causal factor right mm-hmm. um, so you know it's funny because scientists are always like we want to find a unifying theory of everything mm-hmm. well I think God is the unifying cause you know we <laughs> you know, I mean, of everything right <laughs> you're right so why can't I say that why is it so 
uh, in this postmodern world, why is it so like, you know, I guess a nasty word, you know, I mean, why is it, it so? So we, we pick different arguments and one of them is, is the cosmological. Now the ontological argument, it's hard to understand. I, I, don't, I don't think we'd have time to really flesh that out, but I can definitely use the, uh, uh, the Kalam, which is the easiest one. And I could also use uh, what we call the contingency argument that Leibniz put out uh, a long time ago. And okay. it, it's a five-premise argument. It's simple. It says everything that exists has an explanation of its existence, either in the necessity of its own nature or in an external cause. Right? Mm-hmm. If the universe – itself has an explanation of its existence that explanation is god the universe exists therefore the universe has an explanation of its existence therefore the explanation of the universe's existence is god um but when you flesh that out and you talk about contingency and the necessity of uh, of of nature and stuff you, you know it gets a little complicated but the easiest one is the kalam and that says Anything that – or everything that begins to exist has a cause. Mm-hmm. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, in the retrospect, when you step out and you look at that argument, what do you think? Okay, yeah, of course, the, you know, the Big Bang Theory, you know, but you know, you're going to get Christians that are resistant to the Big Bang Theory because they're young Earth creationists, or, sure. or you know, you're going to have people that are resistant to that, mm-hmm. and because they've heard false notions of it. However, it, the Big Bang Theory, and I'm using this very, very generally. Um, I could t- tell you, okay, the FLR model, the fully extrapolated backwards model. I could, you know, I could go into all these different cosmological terms, but to keep it simple, I'm just going to say Big Bang theory. Okay, right on. Um, so when you look at the Big Bang theory, it coincides with Genesis one one. Okay. Right in the mm-hmm. beginning, God created. Right. The right. Big Bang says that the universe came into existence from what they call a singularity and a singularity is often referred to as a nothing point mm-hmm. so so the universe had a definite beginning um well at least there's the, the evidence is in favor of a beginning now i can't say that it's you know that they've come to the conclusion that it is absolutely right but the know, general so the general acceptance the among is, scholars is, is that the universe that had a way. beginning. Right, right. So even people like Sean Carroll, who's a, a Caltech professor and a doctorate in cosmology and so forth, he, he talks about a universe that could have been eternal, and he uses de sitter space and, and all these different you know, uh, big words, and, and they, they talk about the Hamilton uh, constant. <laughs> There's a whole bunch right. of stuff. Okay, they, they go into the physics. Okay, but Sean Carroll ultimately – has said, I do not want there to be a beginning. It's very possible that there is a beginning. Mm-hmm. It, it, it could be very true, and the evidence, there's very good evidence for it, but I don't want there to be because that will be the end of science, and he's committed to his atheistic worldview. So these are said, you can you can find uh, these interviews on uh, online, on YouTube, uh, Closer to the Truth. He has uh, uh, a bunch of cosmologists on there talking about you know uh, the beginning of the universe. Um so the Kalam deals with with the beginning of the universe, but it also deals with the philosophical arguments for the beginning of the universe by saying there can't be an infinite regress, right? That mm. that you know the universe can't go backwards in, in infinitely. Right, yeah. right. So it goes through two philosophical arguments uh, 
that pretty much started in the in the Middle Ages with the Muslims, you know, Al Ghazali, right? So you have that, right? So the cosmological argument is a very powerful argument, and that's just one piece of the puzzle. And I describe apologetics in this way as like, okay, when you start with apologetics, and now we're jumping into what we call the classical approach. And I use the classical approach in formal debates because the classical approach, it, it, depending on the topic. Now, if the topic is is the resurrection, I'm not going to make a case for the existence of God, right? right I'm going right. to give you a whole other argument. But if we're sure. discussing you know, the starting point. So we're starting with, does God exist? Right. I'm going to use the classical approach, you know, I mean, but as a cumulative case guy, I can do that because there's no priority into my mode of thinking because my thinking is, okay, first I have to sanctify the Lord in my heart. So I need to be right with God. Right. 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 I need to have an answer and I need to have, I need to have that answer and I need to do it with gentleness and respect. So what is the best, you know, the best starting point for me? It's not going, Hey, you believe in God. Let's start with the existence of God and why I can prove the existence of God. That right. makes no sense. Right. Right. So, uh, I use a classical approach when it comes to formality. So uh, if we're doing like the existence of God, of course, I'll start with the the uh the cosmological argument right? right and i'll go into that uh that's one of my passions i love the cosmological argument i have like i said i have a telescope i go out and i look at stars you know i, I love to look at stars i love to look at the planets i mean it's just uh, you know i'm a huge star trek fan as i'm sitting in my uh studio here right i have star trek stuff all over the place. <laughs> nice, nice. So I mean, I'm a huge Trek fan. So the the cosmological stuff just fascinates me, man. So right. uh, I, I start with that, and I get passionate about it, and then I go to, you know, the design arguments, and I usually stick to the cosmological design arguments. I don't usually go into the biological. And I've had Fuzzerano on my show for reasons to believe, and we talked about it, mm-hmm. but I usually don't go that route because. Again, that's not one of my specialties, you know. I, and don't get me wrong; when you come to apologetics, you're going to have what they call the jack of all trades, right? And I believe in that because, you know, for a long time, I was told that you need to specialize in only two areas, right? Two areas: specialize, spend all your time into that. But then really? my professor and some of my professors said, "No, be a jack of all trades, but specialize in a few," yeah. right? So he said, "Know the other things, know a good amount." And you know what? Actually, you know what that causes for for the apologists is that they have to over prepare. Mm-hmm. They have to dig in. They have to read. It so is a necessity. That whole, <laughs> yes. So so you have to either listen or read, and you have to take it in. You have to. You know, I've learned that writing it out helps. But mm-hmm. to get back to your point, you know, the cumulative case is awesome. But if I'm going to start with like a formal debate. I'm going to use stuff like the cosmological argument that that shows that it's more likely that God exists because the universe has a cause. Right. Because once I step out of that argument, I I have to think, right? I have to look at that argument and say, okay, well, what caused the universe? Mm -hmm. Because if I say that something that begins to exist doesn't have a cause – then that's kind of like worse than magic, right? That's like right. You're right. in a whole host of problems at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
So, so just so we're man, I love this discussion. Like, let me just say, I could just keep going for hours. We're Absolutely. we're we're going about. Uh, let's see, we got about twenty minutes left. But so let let me ask you this, Dave, real quick. Feinberg in, in the book Five Views of Apologetics, he brings up what he calls a probable case argument. Can for those who don't know, can you just give a brief explanation of what a probable case argument is? Well, probable case argument goes back to that common causal, causal factor, right? So mm-hmm. if, you, if you want to look at – Jay Warner Wallace does a way better job of explaining this stuff than Feinberg ever did, and Feinberg I love. Okay. So Jay explains this as a detective. All right, You go into this crime scene, right? Mm-hmm. and you know this girl's dead, and she was killed by a baseball bat, right? Mm-hmm. right. So – First, you go to your your testimony, right? You have to go to uh, okay. So where's the bat? So you take the bat. That's one piece of evidence, right? Mm-hmm. So you find the bat, right? Or you find this guy, right? And you find this witness that said, "Hey, there was a guy who was about six foot tall. Uh, he had uh, a bat in his hand, and he had blue jeans, right? right. And he had these weird boots with a strap on the side, right? Mm-hmm. So now you're going to Say, okay, but you didn't see his face, so you can't directly identify him, right? Sure. And you're like, okay, so that, that's cool. I, I, I've got something to start with, right? So now you, you begin your investigation, right? So you go in there and you say, okay, I found her boyfriend, and this boyfriend so happens to have a bat in his closet that's been bleached, Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Who bleaches their baseball bat? Right? right. So you know, there's this one <laughs> evidence, right? That 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 makes you be, you know, you, you know, suspect, mm-hmm. right? So then you find that yeah, this guy not only has a baseball bat, but he's got blue jeans that are dirty. But on the knees are uh, when we spray this this special stuff on it, it. You know, it glows, which means that there's some biological stuff on it, but we really can't get DNA because it's been bleached too. Well, who spot cleans their jeans, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if they're if they're dirty, right? You just throw them in the wash. You know, why didn't you do that? Sure. So, um, you know, that's another piece of evidence. So you kind of look at it as a crime scene, and you put these pieces like of the puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. You take mm-hmm. these pieces and you put them together, and what is the best explanation? Because I can't tell you for certainty that God exists, right? If you asked me to prove that for certainty, I would probably be like, well, I can't give you certainty, but I can give you certainty. Why? Because I believe that we can have uh, beyond a reasonable doubt sure. justified true beliefs, right? A high probability, right, right. High probability can can is good enough for a justified true belief on Absolutely. my view because I do hold more to that traditional – uh, foundationalism that Paulman holds to, you know, right. and, and you know David Paulman. So, oh, absolutely, I had him on last <laughs> so, week. Debate name, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, but, so, yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's kind of that's the probable cause case, kind of. You know, it's the right. efforts to the best explanation. Right on, and see, and whenever I first read that, to be honest, whenever I heard Fein, or whenever I read Feinberg say that we're giving up the search for absolute certainty, I stopped for a second. But whenever you just, you know, described how you did that, you know, I cannot prove for certain that God exists. If we could, there wouldn't be a debate on it, right? Like this is right. it, faith is not about what we see, but the things that are not seen, um, the spiritual. And so, whenever I first heard that, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't 
seem too certain, right? Why would we do this? But but describing it like you did, David, I think that there's a lot of things that a lot of people, well, I know me, you know, well, there's a of, lot of things. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, finish. Finish. No, no, that's fine. Um, I was just going to say there's a lot of things that I, you know, know that I'm not certain about, but that, you know, there's a high probability of it. I don't, I haven't been to Australia, for example, but I'm highly certain that Australia exists. But yeah, but that's just kind of where I was going with that. But go ahead, David. Yeah. So what I was going to tell you was that, you know, it's really cool that, that you said about Australia. I mean, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's absolutely true. Right. Um, but if you think about it, you know, certainty is never within our grasp. Jesus himself said that blessed are those that believe upon your testimony. You know, the, believe upon, you know, what you saw, what you eyewitnessed. Mm-hmm. He told that to disciples, right? So mm-hmm. at some point, we're not going to have that absolute certainty. And even right. if we could see Jesus do all these miracles, we still couldn't prove that we're some sort of brain in a vat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we're mm-hmm. in the matrix or something, you know? We can't. Right. So, I mean, what does that leave us with? Exactly. Just to justify true belief. Exactly, and you know, and that's just why like, presuppositionalism doesn't work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, nailed it! I love it. I love it. I love it. But but no, like just kind of going to piggyback on what you said, David, about you know not seeing. Jesus told Thomas. You brought Thomas up earlier. Jesus told Thomas, "Yeah, Thomas, you believe me because you see me. But blessed are those who believe and do not see." Right. This is faith, and no faith is not in the Christian faith is not, you know, blind faith. We we all know what blind faith is. Right. And it's something that we don't want to do. That's why we do apologetics. That's why I love the cumulative case is because it takes cla- the classical approach. It takes evidential evidential apologetics. It takes all of these, even precept in some senses, you know, but but it if I, it yeah, brings if I use precept, if I use precept, mm-hmm. bro, it's to make you skeptical. Mm-hmm. Precept has this amazing ability to make you you know, skeptical about anything to dismantle worldviews. I think you were the <laughs> yes, one that said absolutely. it on your uh, on your episode there. Uh, but yeah, it, precept is the best to dismantle worldviews, and it does. And that's why that's why I like the precept approach. You know, personally, is because you do. St- I think Jeff Durbin explained it like this: you you step in to the sinking <laughs> ship to show the yeah. person that it is sinking, and you bring him back out on the boat that is afloat. Right. And However, so, if a presuppositionalist is still there, the boat's going to sink. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I tell people, hey, sometimes presuppositional makes more atheists than Christians. <laughs> oh no, I'm teasing. Oh. I, I'm teasing, but I love my presuppositionalist <laughs> sure. friends. You know, um, I the only people I don't like are the ones that are so adamant that they're mm. not willing to give any ground, right. and they they have this air of superiority, which really bothers me. I so, know, but I know if few people like that. We call them hyper-Calvinists. They're stuck in certainty, as Joshua Davidson yeah. likes to say, and we'll just leave it at that. But but yeah, it's it's sad. But CeCe, so here's another thing, just real quick to, to yeah. talk about the cumulative case. I like, so Feinberg describes in the book, these seven tests for truth, right? And I'm just going to name them just real quick, and then David, if yeah, you want ahead. to, you can kind of explain, you know, just a, a nutshell of what each of them are saying. But and, and I think these are just, you know, they're valid for everything. So we must test for one consistency, two correspondence, three comprehensiveness, 
four simplicity, five livability, six fruitfulness, and seven uh, conservation. And I'll, I'll turn that over to David to kind of let him explain. Uh, like I said, David, just a little <clears throat> nutshell um, introduction yeah. of what those yeah, so, really mean. Absolutely. So what Feinberg is doing here is he's basically going off of uh, faith, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. he's going off of what makes faith uh, in some degrees, right? So faith is a – the Greek use – the Greek word often used in the New Testament is pistos, and it indicates mm-hmm. a belief or conviction with the complementary idea of trust, mm-hmm. right? Faith is not a mere intellectual stance though, but a belief that leads to action. So there you get your actionable stuff like simplicity and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you also get the idea from trust, right? You get mm-hmm. the consistency and the correspondence and the you know, all that stuff, right? Right. So when I, like I said, Jeff Zerwin or Zerwinky or I can't I never remember his name, but he works <laughs> for reasons to believe he's a uh, an astrophysicist. Okay. And he said he, he breaks it down so simple. He takes all those Feinberg points and puts it in that simple moniker that I told you earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Love it, learn it, and live it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that whole you, you know inductive studies when you you know inductively study the Bible. You know you have all these steps, right? But when you're explaining it to your kids and you're explaining it to. Uh, you know, people that haven't studied, you're going to say head, heart, hands, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to say the head, heart, and the hands, right? So that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the same thing. Love it, learn it, live it, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of like how I, I, I approach this with most people because most people aren't going to get uh, a first-rate philosopher's idea of it. You know, and love it is the first stage when a person engages with apologetics and anything they are passionate about comes with uh, loving what they do, right? right. So right. this includes the various fields associated with the subject you are specializing in or generally want to know about. So learn it, right? So anything you love, you learn everything you can about it. Um, for me, it was the historical arguments and the cosmological arguments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what am I doing? I'm, pers- I'm pursuing a philosophical degree and a apologetics degree because I love apologetics. I love those arguments, the cosmological and the historical arguments. That's one of the ways that I can really focus there on that is through a apologetics degree. I can mm-hmm. actually get both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, also, with the philosophy degree, I can understand a lot of the philosophy, you know, the the ontology of things, you know, and I want to know the beginning of things. So, like the beginning of the universe is really important to me. So, I can learn that through different philosophy as well as physics and stuff like that. So, I took the the one that had the less math, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's the um, way to go. <laughs> but you got also got to stay up to date on it because things change constantly. You know, there's always new discoveries and so forth. Now, living it, that this involves not only the practice, but also the sharing. You know, things humans learn usually result in them living it out. You know, um, they practice it in their daily lives. If someone is a doctor, for example, they're going to live out a life of saving people professionally and personally. Um, also, things people absolutely love, they share, you know. We talk to others. We inspire them, you know. So that's these things are natural. 
to, you know, that first clause of loving it. And that's kind of what Feinberg does, right? So he goes through these, okay, so how can you test truth? How can you test these things? Oh, well, that's correspondence. Does it conform to reality and so forth? And that's, and that's it, you know? Um, like I said, God is the unifying, uh, uh, you know, he's the unifying cause, you know, he's the unifying cause, unifying cause of everything. He is the one that puts, you know, that, that gave us the puzzle, you know? And I've always told this people, and Aristotle says it, uh, blatantly in one of his in one of his things, he says that uh, he says all men by nature desire to know, and that's what you know that we do. We all desire to know these things, and God is the one that designed us in a way to discover things. Right. So, right. I mean, as, as far as Feinberg and his points, yes, those are awesome points, but they can be simplified. You know, right. into what I just said. So. Right. No, absolutely. And what you just said, I I, I, t- I was talking to you a little bit off air, and I yep. gave I gave you that. Um. Oh, I forget who said it. Um. But he said that the Bible. You know, people say that the Bible is supposed to be the light of the world, but it's actually the Christian who's the light of the world. No one reads right. the Bible, but everyone. Uh, reads the Christian. And Alistair McGrath in his book, Mere Apologetics, says this. He says, the heart of apologetics is not about mastering or memorizing a set of techniques designed to manipulate arguments to to get the desired conclusion. It is about being mastered by the Christian faith so that its ideas, themes, and values are deeply imprinted on our minds and in our hearts and and like david just said so perfectly once you once that happens once we study to learn to once we love god we will study to get to know god and and, and learn love and live you know those things like you like, like you said like i can't I, I i can't expand on it because you just said it so well but they shape us they mold us and and they come out of us whenever yeah. our heart is truly in this and and if anyone if anyone is you know, you question your salvation like I do sometimes. I mean, <laughs> one, one, know that that's normal and you're not the only person doing it, but, but, but for real. But this gives, I think, a, a human natural desire to, like you said, to seek, right? And, and, and what better, you know, than to seek God? So, David, in the last couple minutes that I got, let me ask you just one more question. What is some advice that you would give to someone interested in engaging in apologetics or evangelism for the very first time? Well, if they're engaging, see, I have, a, I have, okay, so PRA, mm-hmm. uh, we have a motto. It says to engage and to equip, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what you just said before, I have to echo. Because you said, you, you, you know, you basically described the first line of the apologist battle cry, which mm-hmm. is sanctify the Lord in your heart. Right? Mm-hmm. That, is, that is what you do first. If you don't do that, you're not going to love it. Right? right. So, but, but as far as that goes, th- that's, <laughs> you know, I, you just had me thinking of that, man. And it's right. so powerful. It's so right. powerful. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Wow, what a powerful statement, right? It it is. It, it, it is. It, is. Man. it makes one, it makes it makes the rest of the verse like pale in comparison. Right. <laughs> right. You know, right. Yes, I love answers. I love being gentle and respectful. But man, I want God in my heart. 
mm-hmm. the creator, the one that spoke and the world left in, or the universe left into existence. Right. Because if but he's it, not, if you're not sanctifying Christ as Lord in your heart, all the apologetics that you're doing are for nothing. They're, yes, they're literally useless. useless because you're just yeah. heaping burning coals on your head at that point. You know uh, what I I'm mean? Gonna, I'm going to jump in here and just say, yeah, that, yeah, you know, no. we've, we've, we've literally as a society, as a human race, we have ma- vastly outlearned our capacity to love, right? So we can do all the studying we want in the world and we can understand all of the, all of the theological points of view and all of the theories on the world. And at the end of the day, if we haven't figured out how to love other people well and love people in Jesus name and let Jesus live through us, then we've missed the entire point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And that's why, and that's why that verse starts that way. So my advice to anybody that, that starting, starting this is, is a remember to look through the telescope, mm-hmm. see the person, see that that person is a, is a, is a, a husband or a wife, see that they're a daughter or son. And Ask questions. Amen. Ask questions. David Russell from Proselytizer Apostasy. Thank you so much, brother, for coming on. Join us next week on CSG. Same time, same place, and we will see you then. God bless. Good night, and be safe. <laughs>